Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, November the 9th, 2023. It is currently 10.03 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I know the day is almost over. It's, it's, it's after 10 p.m. here in West Texas. Before I know it, it will be midnight. It will no longer be November the 9th. It'll be November the 10th. This day will be gone. It will be history. But I, I have to try to accomplish something. So if, if I look over this day, if you look, I haven't done any live broadcasting. None. Zero. And that that always leaves me a little frustrated, and especially if I have a specific thing in mind that I think is related to today, right? Sometimes I have a podcast idea that is very much related to a specific date, a specific time, and I feel like, okay, I've got one shot to do that. And then after it gets so late into the day, my mind tells me, well, you know what? You had your opportunity. You blew it. So you just... You can't do that broadcast. You can't because the day is almost over. It's kind of related to a specific day. Just forget about it and move on. And then tomorrow you can just move forward and you just, you don't get that, you don't get that chance. But this is one of those situations where I feel like I'm going to want to talk about this. So if I'm going to end up talking about it tomorrow, that would look, I know to the average listener, you don't care. To me, it would be more foolish to wait till tomorrow when I still have two hours, a little less than two hours today. So I'm, I, I know today is almost over, but we're going to talk about something that is very much connected to today. If you follow the historical lectionary or if you follow the liturgical calendar, right? For those who may are aware of the lecture, historical lectionary and a liturgical calendar, you, you may be familiar with some of the things we're going to be talking about, but because it's so connected to this date, then I I feel like I need to talk about it on November the 9th and not wait till November the 10th. I mean, technically, I could talk about it anytime we want, but it just, in my mind, it's connected to this day, so I have to do it now. And once it turns midnight, then I have to wait a year, okay? I know that's foolish, but that's just the way my mind works. So are you ready to hopefully engage in a little bit of interesting conversation. You may find it interesting. You may not find it interesting. Hopefully a little bit of church history here, a little bit of hermeneutical issues to deal with. Uh, And I clearly, I think, clearly, I think this is going to be a situation where we're going to just kind of, I'm just going to kind of throw out some ideas, right? Kind of just throw out some concepts and then we're going to have to bookmark it. We'll have to circle back to it at some, I know we got so many other things going on, right? We got the study on the tabernacle going on. There's so many other things that we're working on, but um, yeah, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to fit this in somehow. There's no way we're going to be able to finish this tonight. This is just going to be throwing out some basic ideas and some historical information. So are you ready? You want to know how it all started? Well, I woke up this morning and I, as everyone know, I subscribed to thousands of podcasts. And one podcast I subscribe to gives the daily readings from the historical lectionary or the lectionary that's primarily used within the Catholic Church. 
And if you don't know what a lectionary is, it's simply a schedule like on this day, you read this scripture, this script, and you do this psalm, and you do this gospel. And and the early church, that's how churches operated. They followed a lectionary, assigned readings for a specific day or specific season, a specific day to remember something or someone, or to remember a specific doctrine like Trinity Sunday, where you spend the Sunday focused on the Trinity, whatever the case may be. Those lectionaries are very important in church history because they show us which scriptures the church the church was using, right? When you go back and they discover some lectionary somewhere, it may only be a list of the readings, but you can go, well, clearly they were using the gospel of John or clearly they were referencing the gospel of Mark or clearly. So then immediately, you know, the churches were utilizing that particular book, which helps in the formation of the canon, etc., etc. There's all kinds of issues we could get into, but I love the lectionary readings. I love it. To me, it would still be the most amazing thing if every church in the world would agree upon a lectionary and everyone, and that means in every church, everyone would be doing the same scripture readings every week to every time there's a church uh, service and a sermon would be preached from one of those readings. I'm not saying it would fix all of the disunity, but it wouldn't it be kind of just fascinating that any Christian you met, oh, so uh, uh, which reading did your pastor preach on today? What did you think of the readings? Well, what did you think of the readings? What did you think of the readings? And everyone would be having the same readings. That would be, that to me, that would be fascinating. And I do love when you look at the lectionary, how how the scriptures fit together. And we've been looking at the lectionary readings for a little bit on our Today's Focus podcast series. We've been in Luke chapter 14. And I was I was expecting that today was going to be something different. It wasn't going to be Luke 14 because we kind of finished Luke 14. So I'm like, okay, what is going to be today? So I reached over my iPad. I hit play for the readings for today. And I found out that today, at least within the Catholic Church, it's a feast day. And it's a feast day about the dedication of a specific basilica, or we will refer to it as a church the dedication of a specific church, a very famous church in church history. And immediately it got me thinking, well, we've been talking a little bit about the church, right? Remember the article we looked at about de-churching and how Piper made a video answering a question about de-churching. And he basically said, if you walk away from the church, you walk away from Christ. Therefore, being a part of a church is absolutely essential to one's salvation. And that within that article, not coming from a Catholic source, coming from a Protestant church, basically referred to the church as the church is your mother. And if you don't have the church as your mother, you don't have God as your father. And I'm like, whoa, that sounds very Catholic. So I, when I saw that today, was about a church, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Now, I wonder what the readings will be. And then I thought, I wonder how this will be handled today and and many homilies given today. So I'm going to just play what I heard, and then we'll take it apart. But mainly, we're going to look at the first scripture reading for today, which I haven't been able to spend as much time with, but oh, it's fascinating. It's kind of fascinating. And especially because I know how many will approach this section of scripture and go full-blown allegorical. <laughs> they, will go, they will embrace a full-blown allegorical hermeneutic. That's what they will do. They will clearly embrace it. They will make it all allegorical, make it all spiritual, and not in any way make it a literal. In fact, well, that happened in a specific homily that I listened to today within a Catholic church. 
I very much took a allegorical approach to it, which I, I expected. They kind of went a little bit different direction, but it was still the allegorical approach, which of course was a dominant hermeneutical uh, perspective in the early church. I mean, it was it was everywhere. If you've ever, if you go back and look at some of the church fathers and look at their commentaries, you'll, you'll sometimes you'll be like, "What in the world is going on?" I remember one Wednesday night at my church, I took. Uh, I can't remember which section of scripture it was in one of the gospels. And I just had a lengthy historical commentary from the early church. And by the time I finished just working our church through that, they were like, I never want to hear it. Was everything where this was this, and this represented this, and this was a picture of, and everything was allegorical. And it was just, and they could just make anything represent anything. Because once you do that, there's no guardrails. And it was, it was crazy. But Let's see, let's at least do a little bit of work here and just kind of get an idea of what's going on. So I'm going to, I'm going to be breaking this podcast uh, episode that I heard early this morning. I'm going to be stopping it a lot. All it really is, is just the reading of scripture, Uh, but I'm just going to use it because it's what started this entire, my thinking process and leads us here tonight. I'm going to let you hear the first part. They'll introduce what this day is, and in, in, at least within Catholicism, what feast day it is. Then I will do a little bit of discussing about that. Then we'll listen to them read the first scripture, and we may not get to the rest. We may not get to the rest, and then we'll just throw some thoughts out, and well, we'll see what you have to think. I think it should be an interesting conversation, and we'll try to try to make it as as beneficial as possible. Are you ready? So this is how it started. Early this morning, reached over, grabbed my iPad, went to one of my podcast apps, hit play, and I heard this. November 9th, 2023. Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. A reading from the book of... Did you hear that? Let me back it up one more time. Today is a feast day. In the Catholic Church. And it's for the dedication of a specific building. A very famous building. A very famous church. Let me play it one more time. Here we go. November 9th, 2023. Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. The Lateran Basilica in Rome. Now, I, if, if I was at my church, if I was at my church, I would ask everyone, how many people know about the Lateran Basilica in Rome? How many people in my congregation have, I think I've got people in my congregation who've been to Rome. How many have actually been to the building, have seen the building? How many know what it is, the Lateran Basilica? If you saw a picture of it, would you immediately be able to recognize it? Do you know what famous council was held at that, the Lateran Basilica? Do you know who, whose residence it was? I mean, I could ask all kinds of historical questions. Let me just give you a bunch of quick historical information. Are you ready? The Lateran Basilica, also known as the Basilica of St. John Lateran, is an important and historic Catholic church located in Rome. It is officially called the Ark Basilica of the Most Holy Savior and Saints John the Baptist and John the Evangelist at the Lateran. Here are some key points about the Lateran Basilica. Are you ready? Number one, it's historical significance. The Lateran Basilica holds immense historical significance as it is the oldest and highest ranking of the four major basilicas in Rome. It was consecrated, it was consecrated in the fourth century by Pope Sylvester I, making it the first Christian basilica to be built in Rome. 
All right, that's that's majorly significant, right? And again, this is not about agreeing or with Catholic theology or anything like that. It just is just looking at historical facts. Today is the feast day of the dedication of this basilica. And it has great historical significance because it would possibly be the first basilica to be built in Rome. That goes way back to where, obviously, the Roman Catholic Church was coming to great power and was going to begin to influence, dominate. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to disagree with this historically. Define Christianity. I know some people will find some very obscure, <laughs> questionable documentation to try to say, no, 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 no. But I, I think we just have to be, I mean, it was clearly dominating. Um, at that point in time. So there's some of the historical significance. The papal seal, the Lateran Basilica is considered the cathedral of, now listen, now listen, this is very important. The papal seal, this, I'm sorry, I said the papal seal, I'm sorry. The papal seat, let me state it that way. The Lateran Basilica is considered the cathedral, now listen to this phrase, or mother church of the diocese of Rome and is recognized as the official ecclesiastical seat of the Pope. As such, it serves as the Pope's cathedral and the palace where he delivers certain papal liturgies. Please note, the mother church of the Diocese of Rome. The mother church. Now, the only reason that I'm, I'm emphasizing that tonight is because, again, of that recent article that talked about de-churching and how do we stop de-churching? Well, you tell people is if you are not part of a church, you're not part of Christ. The church is your mother. And if you don't have the church as your mother, you don't have God as your father. The fact that that terminology is showing up on non-Catholic sites to try to combat de-churching is a little just, for, for me as someone who, you know, for those who don't know, I got tired of hearing a lot of nonsense about Catholicism that I felt wasn't accurate for many pulpits. So as a Baptist pastor, I enrolled in a Catholic university to pursue a degree in Catholic theology so that I could better ex- speak of Catholicism from a position of knowledge, not one of ignorance or one of conspiratorial made-up information. And um, sometimes when you hear those who are outside of Catholicism sound very Catholic and in many cases hold to a position that's far more Catholic than it is consistent with the Protestant Reformation, sometimes you're baffled that they don't see it. They'll be the most anti-Catholic people on earth. But then you're like, that is so Catholic. How do you not see that? Okay. All right. I digress. But I just, I find it interesting that, and I've got, and I, I could, we could go to the Catholic catechism about the church as mother. We could go to EWTN. They have entire documents. We could go to papal documents about the church is the mother. The church is the mother. The church is the mother. There is no, there is no salvation outside of the church. You must have the church as your mother. Well, now, now we have those within the Protestant world saying the exact same thing because we got to combat de-churching. Again, we could have a long discussion. Is the church absolutely necessary for salvation or is Christ necessary for salvation? If you're not part of a church, are you not a part of Christ? I mean, we, there's lots of, of questions we could ask there, right? But the Lateran Basilica, its historical uh, significance, it, it's making, it's, it's the first Christian basilica to be built in Rome. It's the papal seat, not the papal seal. 
Uh, it's considered the cathedral or mother church of the Diocese of Rome. It's recognized as the official ecclesiastical seat of the Pope. As such, it serves as the papal Pope's cathedral and the place where he delivers certain papal liturgies. All right. The architectural grandeur. The current basilica stands on the same site as the original one and has undergone several renovations and reconstructions over the centuries. Its architecture showcases a mix of styles, including a Romanesque, Gothic, or Baroque. The imposing facade and ground interior and grand interior are notable features. So uh, it's, it's, its significance or importance is because of its architectural grandeur. I would challenge you this evening to look up the Lateran Basilica and look at it for yourself. Papal residency. Here's another reason it's significant. Adjacent to the Basilica is the Lateran Palace, which historically served as the resident for the popes until the 14th century. The palace now houses various offices and museums. So, uh, so until the 14th century, it was the papal residence, for those who don't, did not know that. The importance in church councils. The Lateran Basilica has been the venue for several significant church councils throughout history. The most notable is the Lateran Council of 1215 A.D., also known as the Fourth Lateran Council, which addressed important doctrine and disciplinary matters. The Fourth Lateran Council. Now, way back, I, I don't know how many years ago, it was, it's been a long time, I studied the, uh, we at my church, we studied the seven, the seven ecumenical councils, and we went through all of their anathemas and all of the dogmatic declarations. I, again, I think every church, every church member, every Christian should know the first seven ecumenical councils and uh, and and well you could say the first eight if you want to count uh, start with the council of Jerusalem and Acts 15 if you want to count that as the first one then you would study eight so um and i think everyone should know those councils i don't know why christians don't it's so weird you'll hear christians make all kinds of arguments about church history and then you'll ask them a basic question about one of the first seven ecumenical councils or one of the first eight ecumenical councils and they don't know how, they don't have a clue. They don't know what they're, they don't know nothing. And you're like, so you're going to run around here yelling and screaming about church history, but you don't know the first eight ecumenical councils? You don't know what they were about? You don't know how they worked? <laughs> you, you don't know anything? Like, how is it even humanly possible? But they're like, I, I saw, I, I, I found this publication that claims this. And it's like, uh... What historical documentation is that based on? With the ecumenical councils, guess what? You can go back and actually read their declarations, their anathemas. You can literally read what was said. So you at least get an idea because that covers a pretty good period of church history. You can get a pretty good idea seeing what was going on at least in those documents that are actually there from that time period. All right. So. I think it's important. Number six. Now, this one, I'm not so sure about this one. The Basilica houses numerous relics. That I know is true. Supposedly, and I don't know the history, the theory, the reason. They, I guess it is claimed, and I don't know if this is factual, so, so please look this up. It is claimed that the Basilica houses the heads of St. Peter and Paul. 
That is the claim. I don't know what they're basing that off of. You can go do some research on that. It also showcases magnificent artwork, such as mosaics, statues, and uh, frescoes that depict biblical scenes and the history of the church. The Lateran Basilica holds great spiritual and historical significance within the Catholic Church, making it a must-visit site for many pilgrims and tourists who visit Rome. So if you ever visit it, you got to send me pictures. I want to know what you see. I want to know what you find there, right? Doesn't mean you agree. You just you just mean that this is a pretty significant place in church history, right? And if and if you go to Hang on, where's my documentation? I look at uh, one, for, for example, here's another source, another source. Um, Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica. The first Basilica of Rome. See, the, the, the Lateran Basilica is the first Basilica of Rome. A renovated palace of the Lateran family was consecrated on this date, November the 9th, in 324 AD as the Church of the Most Holy Savior. Nearby communities of monks lent it the name of St. John. St. John Lateran is the Pope's cathedral. Fire and earthquakes have repeatedly destroyed the structure each time it's been rebuilt with care. The beauty and the harmony of churches destined to render praise to God invites us human beings to, though limited and sinful, to convert ourselves to a forum, a cosmos, a well-ordered construction, and close communion with Jesus who is the true holy of holies? And that is from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. So there you have it. That's what this day is about. The feast of the Lateran Basilica. It's significant. It's this, it's this church. Now, when you think about it, the reason I, the reason I'm fascinated by this is because we just did an entire podcast episode about that article written about, hey, everyone's dechurching. John Piper said, if you walk away from the church, you walk away from Christ. Therefore, the church is absolutely essential. And, and then they go on in the article to say, if you want, if you don't have the church as your mother, you don't have God as your father. And I'm like, whoa, that sounds very Catholic. And then I turn around today and it's the feast day for the dedication of the Lateran Basilica, which is called the mother church of the, <laughs> of, of there in Rome. And I'm like, whoa, that's, and then the Catholic church refers to the church as mother. And some of the same things are said. So, so already I'm kind of somewhat fascinated, but here's what I was waiting for. Here's what I was waiting for. So I wonder what the scripture readings are going to be for today. And every Catholic church, when they open up the lectionary, what is going to be the scripture readings for today? Hmm, I wonder, what would they pick? Are you ready to listen? You already kind of got a clue what the first one was because I played a little bit too much of the audio. But here we go. Back it up. Let's listen to the first reading. November 9th, 2023. Feast of the Dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. The angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water flowing out from beneath the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the facade of the temple was toward the east. The water flowed down from the southern side of the temple, south of the altar. He led me outside by the north gate and round to the outer gate facing the east, where I saw water trickling from the southern side. 
he said to me, This water flows into the eastern district, down upon the Arabah, and empties into the sea the salt waters, which it makes fresh. Wherever the river flows, every sort of living creature that can multiply shall live, and there shall be abundant fish. For wherever this water comes, the sea shall be made fresh. Along both banks of the river, fruit trees of every kind shall grow. Their leaves shall not fade, nor their fruit fail. Every month they shall bear fresh fruit, for they shall be watered by the flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit shall serve for food, and their leaves for medicine. The Word of the Lord. Now, as soon as I heard that scripture, I was like, oh boy. Okay, are they gonna, are they liking, are they taking Ezekiel? It's, it's the idea here is that Ezekiel somehow this picture of the tabernacle, or I'm tired this picture of the temple, been preaching on the tabernacle, so I'm sorry. I've been studying the tabernacle, preaching on the tabernacle. My mind's thinking tabernacle. This picture of this temple, are they going to liken that to the church? And they're going to say, this is, this is basically a picture of mother church. And this is what the church does. And then they're going to, they're going to use this as a spiritual picture. Now, the homily I heard today kind of went in a completely different direction. They turned the temple into being about us and how this somehow pictures us. And I was like, whoa, that's kind of not the direction I thought they were going to go. But it's Ezekiel 47. Now, I could give you the entrance antiphon for today said in, in Catholic churches. I could give you, uh, I could give you the prayer. I, I, we could we could walk through every all all the pictures and because the, and the liturgy is made up of scripture and all kinds of scriptures, and we could go through all of it. But just this passage. Now the gospel reading goes a different direction, and we can talk about the psalm. The psalm this morning or today is Psalm forty six. The gospel, uh, the uh, the epistle reading was uh, a reading from the uh, first letter of Saint Paul to the Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter three, and then the gospel reading is John chapter two, where Jesus clean, clean, cleans out the temple, takes a whip, and drives people out. All right, so there's a lot there we could deal with, but it was the Ezekiel passage that really caught my attention. So let's look at the Ezekiel passage and let's look at how you could be tempted here to go full-blown allegorical. And maybe the allegorical approach is acceptable here, but it raises lots of hermeneutical questions. So just so that we know, I'm going to grab a Bible here, just so that you know, if you ever look at the book of Ezekiel, spend any time in the book of Ezekiel, you will see something relatively quick as you read through the book of Ezekiel and you get close to the end, right? Because once you get to chapter 40, I believe, yes, once you get to chapter 40 in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 40 begins Ezekiel's temple vision. And it goes chapter 40, it goes to chapter 41, you have the temple measurements, uh, at chapter 41, around verse 13, you get the total measurements of the temple. You get the altar of wood, the two doors. Chapter 42, you get the north chambers. You get the upper chambers. You get the east and south chambers. 43, you get Ezekiel at the east gate. Uh, starting at verse 43, verse 4, the glory of the Lord comes in. You have the law of the house. 
Uh, you have the second day of consecration, seven days of consecration at the end of 43. You have the eighth day. Uh, you have 44, the gate of the outward sanctuary. You have the Levites' iniquity. You have the keepers of the house, rules concerning the priest, a holy portion of the land, the duties of the prince. You have the prince's offerings to the temple, the Passover feast, the feast of seven days, the east gate of the inner court, the prince's burnt and meat offerings, the daily offerings. You've got the place uh, for cooking offerings. Then in chapter 47, you have the eastward flowing river. But everything is about the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple, the temple. Now, at this time of Ezekiel, the people, Israel's in exile. All right, the the, uh, is, the northern kingdom has been taken by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom is in Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem is basically destroyed, a wasteland, the temple is gone. And then all of a sudden there's this vision of this magnificent temple and this temple does not in any way, shape or form seem to fit the temple that was rebuilt after the Babylonian captivity. Does not fit. It doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. Doesn't even fit what we sometimes refer to as Herod's temple. It doesn't fit that as his expansion of the temple. So, and then of course that temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Or then, then what, what, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So do we believe this is a picture, a, a, a vision of something prophetic to come? That this is the millennial temple? Now, others will be like, no, 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 no. It's not predictive. It's not predicting a temple. This is all spiritual. So some people say, this is all a picture of the church. This is all a picture of the church. Every bit of this chapter from 40, from 40 to 48, verse 35, all of it is a picture of the, of the church. And so they, then they just go through and you can just kind of do whatever you want. This picture is this, and this symbolizes this. So it's a picture of the church. Now, when you say it's a picture of the church, if you are, if you say this in a Protestant world, well, it's not a picture of a actual physical congregation. You say it's a picture of the invisible church. So it's the invisible church. Now, if you say it's a picture of the invisible church, then it's the invisible church that's accomplishing these things, or is it the visible church, or is it a mix of both? Which is it? Because if you say it's the physical church, well, then which one? Every church? Like, then you get into all kinds of discussions. Obviously, within Catholicism, they're like, well, the Catholic church is one visible church called the Catholic church, made up of many parishes, but they all make up one church. That's how they would explain it, Right. Within our the Protestant world, well, not all the churches don't belong to any kind of unity. We are this church will tell you that church is wrong, and that church will tell you that your church is wrong, and then you'll say they're wrong, and they'll say they're wrong, and they're wrong, and every, and nobody agrees on anything, and everybody thinks everyone's right, and and in many cases, one church will condemn the other as being a false gospel, and okay, and it, well, it just that's just total and utter chaos. So the way Protestants get it around is well, how can the church be one? Oh, it's the invisible church. Well, the invisible church, what? Does it, does it do anything? Like well, We can get into all kinds of questions. So some people just say the entire thing is a picture of the church. And they mean the spiritual church, the, the invisible church, the, the body of Christ in some kind of mysterious way. Others may try to say this somehow pictures the local congregation. You could get into discussion about that. It just seems crazy. You have basically 40 or, 40, or eight chapters. I was going to say 48 chapters. Eight chapters giving details 
about measurements and size, and it's all just figurative. <laughs> it's all just allegorical. I, I, I have trouble with that. I have, I, I'm sorry. I, this has to be an actual temple. It has to be. And the only place to put it, since it's never shown up anywhere in history, has to be the millennial kingdom or the, during the millennial kingdom. Now, some will say we're in the millennium and all millennialists will say we're in the millennium millennium now. It's not going to be a literal thousand years, not going to be a literal temple. It's all spiritual. Some may try to say this has to be when uh, the new Jerusalem descends. This will be the heavenly temple. Well, then is this going to be the things happening in heaven? Like, oh, there's so many hermeneutical questions we could get into. But let's at least look at the reading for today because it's hard not to read this and want to possibly make this a picture. And, and, and of course, you'll, you'll see why. All right, here we go. Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 1. Afterward, I'm reading now from the King James. Afterward, he brought me again unto the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the front of the house stood towards the east and the waters came down from under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. So some will say the water flowed from the side of the temple. Now, this leads into much discussion. If you've never, there's lots of articles about this, that blood and water flowed from the side of the temple, that they had these very sophisticated almost like a drainage system because within the temple, so much blood was gathered from sacrifices. They needed a drainage system. And this drainage system came out from the side and this blood and water flowed and it flowed some say towards the, uh, I would have to pull up all of the documentation from different to different locations, depending on who you're reading. Okay. And that that literally that this not not only does is according to this it's water going to be coming out now it doesn't mention blood here right doesn't mention blood here why not right well would there be blood sacrifices in a millennial kingdom some would say yes some would say no is that a significance i don't know others will say that when jesus is pierced in the side and blood and water flow you know, came from that, that many Jews would have understood this as being clearly speaking of somehow temple symbolism, because they would have all known that from the temple, blood and water flowed because they gathered so much blood from the sacrificial system. You you, you can, you can, look, there's plenty of articles on the internet about it. You can look at it for yourself, but water comes flowing out. So is this, is this a picture of Jesus, you know, well, Jesus, see, this is the temple. Is Jesus the true temple? Is Jesus the true temple? Well, the only, the only problem trying to make your, your allegory work is, well, it doesn't mention blood here. It just mentions water. When Jesus is pierced in the side in what John chapter 19, blood and water flowed. So do you try to draw that correlation? Do, do you, do you, are you tempted to do so? It may preach good, but I don't know. Is, is that, is that what this is pointing to? And then look what happens. Here we go. 
All right. So waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar, then brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. So basically, hey, the waters are coming out. Let's follow the waters. Let's follow where the waters go. Let's see where the, please, no, no blood, just water. All right. So a lot of people want to draw this to the actual temple in Jerusalem where blood and water flowed because they had these sophisticated drainage system. I, well, I don't, I, does that have any connection to this? Some people want to immediately go to John chapter 19. Jesus is our temple. Boom. He was stabbed. Blood and water flow. But this doesn't mention blood. If it mentioned blood, maybe it doesn't. All right. But let, let's see what happens. Then they brought me out of the way on the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man had the line in his hand, went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand um, and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. And again, he measured a thousand and brought through the waters uh, where uh, were to the loins. So the water seems to be increasing, seems to be building. Now, these verses are, were not part of the lectionary reading today. They went, they read verses one through two, two, skip to eight through nine, then skip to verse 12. We're reading all of them. So he sees the water and every time it measures it, more water, more water, more water. All right. Okay, then verse five, afterward, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass over. The waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. See, that that does not point to me to the, does, does that, I don't, does that, how does that point to G, the blood and water coming out of Jesus? I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't see that. Then verse six. And he said unto me, son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now, when I had returned, behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on the one side and on the other. Then said he unto me, these waters issue out towards the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the water shall be healed. In other words, the water... Some think somehow this reference to Dead Sea is so filled with salt that in a sense it was dead and this would come and heal the waters. Therefore, this water was life-giving. All right, now, now you see where, now do we make that literal water? So in the millennial, in the millennial kingdom, will literal water flow out of the literal temple and heal literal water? That seems a little like, I don't know. Do, do, do we understand that? It goes beyond my understanding and my comprehension. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But if I start spiritualizing this, what, what do I do? I've got some ideas, maybe. Verse 9, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. And there shall be very great multitude of fish because the water shall come thither for they shall be healed and everything shall live whether the water cometh. So anything the water comes to, it brings life. It brings healing. It brings restoring. It brings something positive. And it shall come to pass that the fish shall stand upon it from Engedi even unto Engalam, Engalam, 
They shall be a place to spread forth their nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea exceeding many. So in other words, it's just, it's going to, it's going to only, not only is it going to heal, not only is it going to produce life, it seems to produce great provision, great sustenance. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt, but there's some places that are not going to be healed. Now, what, what in the world is that? And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on the side and on the side shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaves shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to the months, because their waters they issued out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. That sounds very much like, this sounds very much like the book of Revelation. It's what it kind of sounds like, more than anything. Right? This sounds like Revelation. Is this the... Is this a temple in the New Jerusalem? Is is this is this go? Is this have nothing to do with the millennium? And then the uh, well, those are all the verses they want us uh, to read. That's all the verse we read more than they wanted. We read verses one through twelve. I would I present to you Ezekiel forty seven one through twelve for your own reading, your own meditation this evening. So what do we do with this? If we if we jump to Revelation, if we jump to Revelation, which interesting enough is the entrance antiphon for all Catholic churches today. Here we go. I'm just going to read a little bit of this and see if it sounds somewhat familiar. And Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And John saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, some people try to connect that to the church. Is that the church? Or is it's just new Jerusalem? It's the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse three, and I heard a great voice out of the heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now he says, behold, the tabernacle of God. Is that the same idea as the temple? So is Ezekiel describing, obviously he's not described a temple that's ever been built. So we immediately, some people immediately want to make it the millennial temple, but is it possible this isn't the millennial temple? This has something to do with the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. And is it literal? Is, it, is this a literal new Jerusalem coming down? All right. And so, because he calls it the tabernacle of God is with men. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death. There sorrow, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. The former things are passed away. And I and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Sounds a little bit like Ezekiel 47. And he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Now, the only problem within Ezekiel 47, you had part of the land that wasn't healed. So, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know then how this works. Then look at this, verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst 
of the fountain of the water of life freely. Oh, there's water. There's, there's water. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Wait a minute. Does that correspond with Ezekiel 47? That there are those, the things that are not healed and are not made alive. And here are those who are going to take part of the second death. Is there a correlation there? Verse nine, and there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of the heaven from God. Having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal and a wall great and high and had 12 gates and the gates, 12 angels and the names written thereon were the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Well, now we have Israel showing up again. All right. On the east gate, uh, on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates and on the west, three gates. And and the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb. Now we have the, the Israel with the 12 tribes and we have the apostles. And he talked with me. Uh, he had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth. And the measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And the measured the walls thereof, 140 and four cubits, according to the measurement of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was like jasper and the city was pure gold, like unto glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second sapphire goes through a, 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 a number of the, the stones and things that are there. You can read it. Uh, uh, you have the Serratus, the You have all these things. Uh, the topaz. You can just read all of them. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every, uh, every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it was transparent glass. So there's this beautiful, magnificent Jerusalem, this heavenly Jerusalem. And I saw, now here's where things get confusing. Verse 22, and I saw no temple therein. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I saw no temple. Okay, Ezekiel is all about the temple. So see, now that doesn't fit this. That doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. So is Ezekiel pointing to a temple that's going to be during the millennial kingdom? Or is the temple there being, is pointing to Christ because there's no temple there for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. In other words, is Ezekiel 40 to 48, all of that picture, is it picturing God who is and Christ who is the temple? Look what that verse says. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The millennial kingdom is not going to be there if we believe there's a millennial kingdom. Or, I'm sorry, the millennial temple. Sorry, if we believe there's a millennial key, a kingdom, a literal reign of Christ for a thousand years, we do believe if we believe that, that and we believe there's a temple there, that temple is not going into eternity because there's not going to be a temple there. So then is Ezekiel 40 through 48, is it really more a picture symbolically of God and Christ? And we should not look to a millennial a temple. 
And many of the visions in Ezekiel, are they not visions of God? So then do we take that same hermeneutical concept and apply it to 40 through 48? I, I, I'm just throwing out, I'm throwing out hermeneutical suggestions here. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them, which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the Kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at the day for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor to all the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither uh, whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they are which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then look here. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now remember, God and the lamb are the temple and now the water is flowing from them. So is Ezekiel picturing this? Because now there's water. And in the midst of the street of it and on the side of the river was the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were the for the healing of the nations. Now we've got trees. We've got healing. Sounds like Ezekiel 47. Now I'm back to like, is this is so is everything in Ezekiel really a picture of God? Because here seems to be describing very similar to Ezekiel. And we says there's no temple here because God and, and, and the lamb are the temple. And there shall be no more curse, but the, uh, but the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and the servant shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no light there and no need to candle, neither light of the sun for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto them, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show unto his servants and, and these things which must shortly be done. And please note that uh, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations in verse two. Now, to me, in the homily I heard today, they said, look, Ezekiel is not, pre- is not predicting anything future. Ezekiel 47 is picturing us because we're the temple, we're the temple, and that we therefore should carry out We should bring the gospel, this healing water to as many people as possible. Others would be like, no, no, this is a picture of the church. The church is the one who gives that healing water and you need the church because without the church, you don't get it, which then would make the church essential for salvation. Others may go that direction. Others may say, no, Ezekiel 47 is pointing to the millennial temple, to the millennial temple. Okay. All right. If it's pointing to the millennial temple then does that sound like, maybe it does. Maybe you can make it work for the millennium. I don't know. Do you think it it works for the millennial temple? I don't know. I don't know. Others will say, no, no, no. This is, this is the part of the, this is the temple in a sense that will descend with heavenly Jerusalem. And this temple is God and Christ because all of that points to them because there will be no temple in that, at that period of time, because they are the temple. And so this has nothing to do with us. This has something to do with something future. Or do we simply say, if it's pointing to God in Christ, is it pointing to that future time? 
Or do we simply say this points to the fact that within God and within Christ flows the, the, the water of life that we can partake of now? I've just asked like 50 questions and I don't know if I have any answers, but I know I was fascinated that that was the reading today. Now, they, they, they connect that. Obviously, the, this reading is chosen specifically because it's the dedication of the Lateran Basilica. And to be fair, anytime a Catholic church is dedicated and they do mass, Ezekiel 47, it's a common reading for the dedication of any Catholic church. If they were to follow the, the well, they, they're going to follow the lectionary. It's a, there's other alternate readings, but Ezekiel 47 is a I think Ezekiel, if it's outside of the Easter season, Ezekiel 47 is read. If it's during Easter, Easter season, then there is a different reading. If we follow the lection, I could look it up. I could look up all the lectionary readings. I have it. I have the lectionary down here uh, near me, but Ezekiel 47 would be read most of the time or a good portion of the time. What do you do with Ezekiel 47. John 2, the gospel reading today is much easier to handle to some level, right? Because Jesus walks into the temple that was standing, that was destroyed in 70 AD, takes a whip and he drives the people out. Now, you can get into, is, was there, did Jesus do that twice? Or did he do that once? Some Bible scholar says he did it two separate times. Others say, no, he did it once, but the story is told It's placed in different times for whatever perspective. Bible scholars have been divided over that issue for a very long time. We could get into a whole discussion about that. But him driving people out, we could have a lot. We could we could talk all day about that. Why? Why? What were the people doing then? Deserved to be driven out, and how is that applicable to our church, the church in twenty twenty three? Because maybe, at least figuratively speaking, some things need to be driven out of the church. We could definitely go. That's much easier to deal with. Ezekiel 47 just leaves you with a lot of, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Some people want to make it immediately point to Christ and him crucified and blood and watered flow. But I don't see that has anything to do with that. I don't think it's even picturing that. Now, you could get into the fact that it does appear blood flowed out of the temple side. There does seem to be historical documentation that shows there was a great you know, drainage system where water and blood flowed out of the temple. I just don't think Ezekiel 47 is making a reference to that because that would be referencing the temple that stood when Jesus was on earth. And I'm sorry, that's not what Ezekiel is referencing. He's referencing a te- the measurements there don't match any temple that's ever been built. So then you either have to put it the millennial temple. Maybe that works. Or it has to be somehow this eternal temple that comes down with uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. However, there is no temple there. So then it has to be a picture of Christ and God, God, the father and Christ, the son. So then you have to then go through all of those eight chapters and see how each thing pictures them. And can you do that hermeneutically sound before you start just making things up? There you go. A very quick (laughs) and short Late night broadcast on the, in fact, some of the time zones, you're getting ready to switch over to November the 10th. But for everyone still in the November 9th time zone, it was today, 
324 AD that the Lateran Basilica was dedicated. Currently in 2023, because of the great de-churching, there's lots of arguments and discussions about the church. If you, if you stop attending church, some will say, well, you prove you were never saved. Some say that you, what, how, that salvation is attached to the church. There's a lot of discussion going on about that. I don't think Ezekiel is going to help answer that question in any way, shape, or form. Because I don't think Ezekiel there is pointing to the church in any way, shape, or form. It's pointing either to God. It's either pointing to the millennial temple. I don't think there's any way you can make Ezekiel 40 through 48 a picture of the church. And if you do make it a picture of the church, then you're making a part of the spiritual, invisible church. And guess what? Everyone is a part of the invisible church if they're saved, right? Meaning that you're a part of a church, even if you're never part of a visible church. So then can you say if someone walks away from the visible church and stops attending a visible church, that they're not saved because by salvation, they're a part of the invisible church. So they are part of the church. Oh, that leads to all kinds of questions and struggles uh, when you get into that discussion. But that's where we are in 2023. But what's most important is trying to figure out Ezekiel 47. That is the lectionary reading for today. If you know someone who's Catholic, that, the, the lectionary, just so that you know, is a great evangelism tool for people you know who are Catholic. Instead of sitting there yelling and screaming about Catholicism, just say, did you go to Mass today? So the first reading today was Ezekiel 47. What did you think about it? And then you get them in a discussion about scripture. They're not going to be defensive because you're literally getting them to discuss the very scripture they heard read at mass. That's a great way to spark a conversation. So know the historical lectionary. It's scripture. And if there's apocryphal reading, you can always discuss one of the other readings because it's not going to be an apocryphal for everyone. Typically, if it's going to be an apocryphal reading, it'll be the first reading. So you're still going to have the gospel reading and still have the psalm. Or if it's a day, a special day or Sunday, you're going to have really technically three readings in one psalm. You're going to have an Old Testament, a psalm, an epistle, and a gospel, if you don't know how it works. All right, there you go. I wish I had better answers, but at least I got the opportunity. I don't know if it helped you. At least I got the opportunity to spend an hour talking it out. So thank you for listening to me. I would love to get your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. Many issues to consider. May God bless you as you meditate and consider on the many issues that we have discussed tonight. God bless.